Amen? All right, so let's get to Teen Challenge uh, business. So we are Adult and Teen Challenge located in Worcester, Massachusetts. We have 10 locations in New England as well as in New Jersey. Our, our, uh, our center in particular is located in Worcester. We can go down the next slide. We are a, a nonprofit organization. So we're at 81 Chatham Street, Worcester, Mass., 38,000 square feet facility, purchased at 30% of the city's assessed value. During COVID, they couldn't get rid of the building, but God had a plan for that building. We are 100% debt-free. We owe nobody anything. Amen? To the glory of God for that. We paid that off cash and moved right in. It was a nursing home, so we did a lot of renovations, but it's definitely set up for, uh, for what God wants to do there. And uh, we have 41 beds opened as of October 24, 2020, with the potential of having 74 bed capacity. Right now, we're going through the entire third floor. Construction's going on. We're remodeling. We're going to move the guys up from the second floor to the third floor, do the entire second floor. And we're able to do that because of faithful supporters like yourself and, uh, and this church. So we thank you for that. The heart of our program, what takes place in our program, when the men come into our program, again, we are a program that uh, we specifically deal with life-controlling issues such as drugs or alcohol. Everybody knows somebody that's struggling. And so we have the answer. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. And so when men come into the program, yeah, we give the Lord a praise for that. When the men come into the program, they receive clinical counseling, daily academic studies. Some men receive their high set, which is their GED. Uh, vocational training. So right now, vocational training consists of some of the men work in the kitchen, so they learn culinary skills, and some of them already come with that, and so they're working in the kitchen, and they're developing those skills. We have a carpenter shop where the men are learning how to use tools, and they, they learn how to build cutting boards, and, and cutting boards are used to, to you know, grow uh, the, the ministry through finances because we sell these boards, and uh, people use them, and when they use them and they're at their house and they say, wow, that's a beautiful cutting board, they could always say we got it from Teen Challenge. They receive apprenticeships, certified life coaching, Bible studies, prayer, spiritual emphasis, uh, enrichment events, chapel, and church services. The men are in church, watch this, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, Friday night, and Sunday morning. That's enough Jesus, amen? Transportation to doctor's office, dentist, probation, court, home, markets, churches, emergency rooms. They do have recreation. They have warm bed, posturepedic beds. Uh, three daily meals, weekly family visits, and 24-7 supervision. There's nothing easy about this program because when men come in, there's so much that God has to unpack that has been that they've buried for so long. And as men, we don't like to talk. Okay, just the two of us. We don't like to talk. So a lot of things as men, we put on a shelf and we'll deal with that next year. Next year comes and there's something else on the shelf. And there's another thing on the shelf and there's another thing on the shelf. And then what happens is we mask the pain and the hurt with drugs and alcohol. But God does an amazing work when the men come into the program. So it is a very, very hard program because they have to spend time looking at the man in the mirror and dealing with issues that they've never dealt with before. And that's where they find freedom. Right now we're going to have... a one of our residents by the name of Teddy come and share what God has done in his life. Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Teddy. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. 
Born and raised, not a Red Sox fan. <laughs> um, I grew up in a normal household at first, you know. My mom tried her best to keep me from the streets, me and my older brother. But what she didn't know is uh, my stepfather was physically abusing us growing up in that house. So I grew up a very angry kid, you know, um, had no one to turn to. And at that time, it seems like the streets was the only place that accepted me for who I was because, you know, the streets love that anger stuff. So I ran to the streets by the age of 14, 15. I joined the neighborhood gang. And I thought that was love at the time, you know, because I wasn't getting it at home. So I thought those guys really cared about me. So I did a lot of stupid things because of that. Um, Landed me in jail a couple times. And that was my heart. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to listen to nobody. I didn't want to be no place else but out there with them. Um, By the time I was like 19, 20, I met my daughter's mother. And uh, we got married. But... Once again, the streets was like right in the middle of that. And due to that, we got divorced five years later. But she's the mother of my three beautiful daughters. And uh, I chose the streets over them. And when I think about that till this day, it just, it breaks me, you know, because those girls needed their father. And I was busy running the streets. So... When I got close to the age of 30, I remember my pops, who's a pastor, by the way, used to always tell me that when you run to, to the end and you have no place else to go, the world will show you a dead end, but God will show you a way. I just never understood that because, like I told you, I just didn't know anything about God. So later on, I decided to go to this program called Teen Challenge. And that was back in 2014, 2015. And I went to Teen Challenge, not knowing what I was getting myself into. (laughs) I'm sitting here with all these guys just crying and crying and screaming, God, and we love you. And I'm looking at them like they're crazy because I didn't know what that was about. Showing your emotions where I'm from, you show your emotions, it's a wrap for you. So I just never showed my emotions until one day Teen Challenge really broke me down and I gave my life to the Lord. So I gave my life to the Lord, graduated Teen Challenge, decided that I wanted to do more. I left Teen Challenge and decided to go to Bible college to pursue, to pursue a future in ministry. And, you know, I'm in Bible college. Things are going well every year. I'm going from one level to another level. You know, my head's getting big. I'm getting gassed up, you know. I know you guys are thinking, how can this guy get head get any bigger? Thank you for that laugh. <laughs> so um, this church called me, and they wanted to hire me as their youth pastor. So I decided to, of course, take the job. And like I said, I got ahead of myself. I thought I was this big guy, a youth pastor. You know, I used to run the streets and look at me now, you know. God has given me these, these, these kids to, 
to, to, to teach them about the way of God and, and, and to make sure that they choose the right path. You know what I mean? And I was like, wow, like, you know, and my name was on the door and I just got ahead of myself. And <laughs> enemy sneaks right in through the window, right when you're slipping. And that's what happened to me. I got caught slipping. And that mistake that I did led me a year straight to drinking, drinking more. Next thing you know, it was a year, two years. I didn't even go to church. I wasn't praying. I wasn't nothing. People were looking at me like, Teddy, what happened to the guy that was on fire? Where's that fire? I didn't have that fire. I didn't even know where it was. So I got to a point where I said, God, I need you. I haven't spoken to you in a while, but I need you right now. And I called my mentor, one of my mentors, Pastor Anthony, and he said, you know where to go. Go to where the fire began. And that was Teen Challenge for me. So I'm back in Teen Challenge. And I can't lie to you guys. It's the best decision I ever made. God is definitely in my life now. That fire is back there. <laughs> and I just want to leave you guys with this, uh, this uh, scripture. It's Romans 5.8. It said, God demonstrated his perfect love. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were in our worst condition, Christ died for that person. And another thing he said, perfect love. Don't get no better than that, y'all. I'm going to pass the mic to my boy, Dean. Thank you. So I want to talk to you guys about these prayer cards really quick. So. Uh, there should be one of these, a couple of these at least in every row here. Basically, um, the left side of this card is a spot for your basic information. And so this way, us here at Teen Challenge can uh, keep in contact with you. You know, it's, go- it's not going to be anything crazy. I know like people think that you're going to get a whole bunch of spam and all that, but that is not the case here. And so really what we want to do is that we make these newsletters once a, once a month where we send uh, another testimony of one of the guys that's in the program currently. So you get to see like what God's been doing in his life and in his family's life. And then the other part of the newsletter is that we also talk about what's been going on that month. Like uh, this month, for example, as Pastor Anthony mentioned, we're working on renovating the third floor. So I'm sure the newsletter is going to have pictures of that third floor getting renovated and all that. So basically, it's just a way for you guys to see, like, who you're supporting and, uh, and, you know, like what Teen Challenge is up to at the time. So the other side of the card, obviously, is the most important side of the card. It's just a spot for your prayer requests on here. And so, um, you know, here at Teen Challenge, we pray... Twice a day, we have these intercessory, intercessory, uh, that's a hard word, intercessory, intercession, you know, where we pray over these cards, <laughs> we pray over each other and stuff, and so, you know, like in my life, um, I was a very selfish guy when I was in my addiction and everything, and so, uh, like, learning to pray over these cards taught me a lot, because I'd be struggling, I'd be in my own head, I'd be thinking about all of my own problems, and, like, I would just grab a stack of these cards, and they're anonymous, because, you know, we cut them in half, so it's just a prayer, and it'll be a mother praying about her son who's struggling with addiction, or this and that, and you could just pray over it with such confidence because because of the whole anonymous factor you know and so like it helps the guys in the program learn to focus on other people's problems and to and to recognize also that like a lot of the prayers on the cards are a lot more serious than the things that we're dealing with and it helps us change perspectives so um 
Yeah, so if you guys want to fill those prayer cards out, you know, I'm sure you saw our table out there with the cutting boards and everything. Um, you can hand those in to the table afterwards. We'd love to stay connected with you. And so at this time, I'm going to share my story with you guys. Uh, my name is Dean. Like I said, uh, I'm a young buck compared to the rest of these guys. I'm only 23 years old. And, um, you know, I, uh, so really, I, I went to a private school up until sixth grade. You know, we, we grew up in an AG church, me and my family, parents still together, um, you know, like real cookie cutter family from the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, so I went to this Christian, this Christian school and we were always at church. You know, we were the kind of family that was in church if the doors were open or closed. Like we would do the landscaping at the church and all of that. And so, you know, so I went to all the summer camps, all the youth conventions, all that. And, but I was going to this private school. So when I transferred to public school, my sixth grade year in middle school, I just didn't know, like, the trends. I didn't know the music, what to wear for clothes. I was just, it made me feel very insecure. Um, and so the group of kids that took me in was, like, all the skateboarders, you know, and everybody knows skateboarders are bad kids. And so I started getting in trouble all the time. My parents are grounding me left and right. And um, so by the time I'm in high school, I'm going to parties and all this. And it got to a point where my parents just told me, like, you're never not grounded. You're grounded forever until you move out. And so at that point, I, like, threw the towel in, you know, like, I can't get in any more trouble. So, you know, uh, the parties, like, turned into a, you know, I always had this drive to be the best at something. And whether I was skateboarding or playing soccer or whatever hobbies I had, I always wanted to just be the best at it. And there was never a hobby that I got into where I was, like, the number one seed until it came to, like, partying and doing stuff like that. I was always the last one awake at the party, like. And uh, so the party wasn't fun for that much longer, you know. By the time I was at the end of my time in high school, like, uh, I, the doctors had me prescribed ADHD medication because I couldn't, because of my grades and because of that, it made me kind of anxious, so they put me on anxiety medications, and if any of you know anything about these prescriptions, you can abuse all of them, and so, you know, before I knew it, I'm taking a whole handful of, like, Skittles every morning just to feel normal, meds to go to sleep, meds to stay, this, that, and so, really, none of the things that I even needed, it was just uh, the doctor was writing my prescription for the drugs that I was abusing, and so, on top of that, doing all sorts of drugs in the street, and the party was just getting offhand, you know, and uh, the kids that uh, were bad influences for me were cutting ties with me because I had become the bad influence. And so, you know, probably a year out of high school, I had just burned bridges with really everybody. You know, I was working different sales jobs and stuff. So I was making good money, but I'd spend my whole paycheck week to week, you know, on drugs and partying. And it got to a point by right when I turned 21, my even my parents and my little brother and everybody had to cut ties with me. I was just all alone. And I remember sitting in, in, my, in my car, in, and uh, I was just st- sleeping in my car at this point, and I just turned 21 a week before, and uh, I'm just looking at my life, and I'm crying, just thinking, like, this is, like, the most rock-bottom situation I've ever been in. Like, how did I get here at 21 years old? Like, I'm like, I am a story that I would read about when I was a teenager, like, and um, so it was that night that I tried to commit suicide in a car accident. I just took my car off the road going 70 miles an hour into the woods hoping to die in that accident because I didn't have the guts to to take my life any other way and um but I remember walking away from that car accident without a scratch literally if I could show you a picture of the car you wouldn't even believe it and just looking at the car I remember hearing sirens coming and everything and I had my arms crossed and I just got this wave of peace over me like this is the moment like this is rock bottom for me like something's gonna give something's gonna change it has to 
And so it was the next day that I talked to my grandfather and my father, and uh, they told me, like, you got to go to Teen Challenge. And now I grew up in church, like I said, back when Teen Challenge would do the choirs and stuff. So, like, I'm like, I'm not going to sing in a choir with a bunch of other guys in front of a big church. Like, can't do that. And so, but, you know, it was really my only option. So, you know, I kind of submitted to it. And, you know, I, I actually went into the Manchester, New Hampshire Teen Challenge um, like I said, right after I turned 21, and immediately, like, I had had a relationship with God, so, you know, God met me right where I was at and started teaching me, um, you know, through the program, I was able to learn all different vocational skills, you know, like, learn how to work on cutting boards, as you saw out there, learn how to do some basic business development stuff, learn people skills, I got the opportunity to do, like, like networking, like phone-to-phone sales there, and they just found that I was a good salesman, so, like, they helped me learn all of that kind of stuff, taught me all the basics of, like, basically running a business and everything, and so, you know, I started to feel more secure in myself, started to learn the things that caused me to do drugs in the first place, and um, so, you know, I went through the program, graduated, did an apprenticeship, became a staff member running, like, the donor development at the New Hampshire Teen Challenge, And that went for probably about six months before things just started to kind of fall apart for me. The girl I was dating ended up moving away to do like a YWAM missions trip. She was gone for almost a whole year. And, um, you know, one of my friends died and uh, he, he committed suicide and he left in his suicide note that he just couldn't get over his drug addictions. I was the one that introduced him to drugs in the first place. So that ate me up. My best friend's were relapsing one at a time. Things were just falling apart for me, and the bottom line was that my relationship with the Lord wasn't where it needed to be. And when all of that started crumbling down, like uh, the first thing that I looked to, I remember seeing all these these cards that we have that say struggling with addiction, and everywhere I looked, all, I'm working for a recovery program, so everything is addiction, addiction, addictions, and drugs were just so prevalent that um, I slipped back into it. And so that lasted for about two weeks and you know the mindset that I had of thinking I can just you know I need this today I'm going to just touch it once like that one that one high rolled into two week into a two week bender before like realizing that I'm not going to be able to get out of this and so the director over there called Anthony and so two days later I came to Worcester just the same situation as Teddy just to be able to get my get my head back on straight and so I've been here for about four months now four and a half months and it's just been great just just some silence to get like into the word and to be able to you know, be able to reconnect with God and figure out like uh, some of the things that have that caused me to relapse in the first place and like um, my best best friend overdosed and died since I got here. Both of my grandparents died in one week since I got here. I've just dealt with a lot of death and a lot of heartache since I've been to this program, but it's been a healthy place for me to learn to cope with all of those things and having good mentorship and everything because those are the things that made me relapse in the first place. And so God, God knew, like, this is what you couldn't handle out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in a place like now when I know that you're about to go through some more of that. And so um, I'm just abundantly grateful for Teen Challenge and for the work that God's done in my own life through that. And so, um, you know, like I said, when I came into the program, I was living in my car, didn't have a penny to my name. My bank account was empty. Everybody I knew's bank account was empty because of me. And um, 
for Pete's sakes, I came to the program and, and they said, oh, it's going to cost you, the program costs roughly $3,400 a month for one resident to stay there, but we only ask you guys to, to pay 750 And I said, I can't even pay the 750 I don't have anything to my name. My parents were at the point where they were like barely wanted to give me a ride to the door. And so it was because somebody paid for a dollar a day sponsorship that was able to put me through this program. And so the first time, and even this time around, I was able to get scholarship funds. And so basically, like you guys saw those cutting boards out there, hopefully on your way in, that's a great way for you guys to give like a one-time gift. You know, there um, we have a couple that are about $120, but the rest of them are all 60 or less, and that's just a great way for you to be able to support us and, and make a donation, be able to walk away with something too. But the number one way that you can help one of the guys in Adult and Teen Challenges through the dollar a day sponsorship fund. And by, by a show of hands, do we have any coffee drinkers in here? Some of you are lying. Come on. Okay, so if you're a Starbucks drinker, you could sponsor a couple guys. You know what I mean? Because it's less than a cup of coffee every day to sponsor a guy in this program and to just be able to know, like, you'll get those, you'll get those, uh, those, um, those testimonies coming in every month and you'll be able to see where your dollar a day is going and the life that you're changing. And, um, like, I know as Christians a lot of times that we, we struggle to go a whole year in our workplace just to be able to share, like, Jesus and bring one person to Christ. In Teen Challenge, you can know that your dollar a day is literally bringing the worst, some of the worst of the worst. Some of our guys here are the worst dudes you'll meet all month. And, like, we were able to bring them in and actually teach them about Jesus and get our lives turned around. And so if you guys wanted to do a sponsorship, like I said, there's probably a couple sponsorship forms in every row. Um, and if you guys don't have one, you can meet us out at the table out here, and we'll help you walk you, walk you through that. And just uh, So that's the end of our presentation here. I'm going to hand the mic back over to Pastor Anthony. Thank you, guys. Amen. God is doing amazing things. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise? Yes, he's doing great things at our center. And so we thank, we thank God that, that, uh, God is in the, the, the restoration business. And, um, nothing, nothing, uh, goes to waste, uh, with the Lord. And, uh, we have a gift, uh, for you, Pastor Chris and, uh, and, um, Pastor John actually, and he's, but he's not here today. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll give it to you guys. So these are what we call redeem boards. I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite line item because the redeem board is basically scrap pieces of wood that the guys get to make whatever they want to make. And the, the mindset behind it is that God doesn't waste anything. He redeems everything and he makes something new out of broken pieces. And so this is for, for you, Pastor Chris and... So we just started about a year and a half ago engraving boards. So you can get yours has your names in there. And this is for Pastor John and Miss Anita. And, um, you know, thank you so much for uh, partnering with us. And, um, you know, enjoy it. (laughs) God bless. All right. I have a passage for you this morning uh, that uh, the Lord had, uh, you know, given uh, to me. And I pray that it's a blessing to you. If we could all stand just for a minute. If you have your Bibles, your cell phones, your iPad, your laptop, your desktop, whatever you bring to church, 
<laughs> that you use the word of the Lord for. And, and ironically, what I'm about to do, I actually learned sitting in this, in this sanctuary when my girls used to uh, have uh, Monday morning uh, service. And it's the pledge. And so I always do this before I preach, and it was something that the Lord put on my heart while I was sitting in here. So if you have your, whatever you have, just hold it up nice and high and repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide his word inside of my heart that I might not sin against God. If the word of the Lord has transformed your life, let me hear you shout amen. If you're able to remain standing, uh, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. That means you're going to swipe left. And then anybody else who has paper, we're looking at page 379. It's not on page 379. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Everybody with me? The Bible says that one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am. Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar. Somebody say Lodabar. Zeba told them, at the home of Machar, son of Amiel, son of David. So I'm sorry. So David sent for him and bought him from Machar's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Let me hear you say Mephibosheth. Say that three times. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness uh, because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth, somebody say Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should notice a dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given you the master's grandson, everything that belongs to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for the produce fruit for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson will eat here at my table. Zeba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth, somebody say Mephibosheth, ate regularly at at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Zeba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Father, I thank you for this moment in time. This moment is different than any other moment. Father, I ask that your spirit would speak to us in such a way that we will be captivated by your goodness and your kindness. Father, I pray that you will be glorified, that Jesus will be lifted high, 
that the saints will be edified and all the demons on earth will be horrified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I really love uh, this story because it really paints a beautiful picture of the grace of God, his mercy, his goodness, and his kindness. My assignment this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit is to take this passage and to highlight some things found within the text that I believe will help to encourage you or convince you to know that we serve a good God. But to understand what I just read, we have to first go back to 1 Samuel chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 31. And you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you really quick. It says, now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered and the slopes of, of, of Mount Gilob and the Philistines closed in on Saul and his son. And they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadad, and yeah, him. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers caught up with him and they wound him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before the pagan Philistines come to ruin me, run me through and taunt me and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. When his armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died besides the king. So Saul, his three sons and his armor bearer and his troops all died that same day. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 4, I think it's in verse 4 somewhere, you read about the fact that the news now comes to, to Mephibosheth's nanny. Mephibosheth's at the house. The nanny's there. She gets the word. He's about five years old, the Bible says. So she picks him up and she's about to flee because in those days, if you became the king, you were looking to eliminate anybody else that was connected to the king prior to you became the king because they didn't want anybody trying to you know, have an uprising or anything like that. So this is what happened. The nanny was trying to protect Mephibosheth. She picks him up. She runs. And he drops, she drops him and he becomes crippled at an early age. Point number one is just that crippled at an early age. Second Samuel four, I just read that to you. It says Saul's son, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Like Mephibosheth, many of us have been crippled as a child. Maybe not physically, but we all have been crippled mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. That verse tells us we all. Now, that word all in the original Hebrew language is spelled A-L-L, and it means all. In the Greek, it's A-L-L, and it means all. In the hood, it's E-R-R-B-O-D-Y, everybody. Everybody has sinned and has fallen short of God's glorious standard. 
So the good news is we're all equal at the cross. We have all been born into sin and obtain a sinful nature. And many of us have lived a certain type of sinful lifestyle that its origins can be traced back to the fact that we were crippled as a child. Dropped as a kid. Our past experiences, church, as children, have the ability to shape and form who we are prior to Christ. As children or teenagers, we all have had someone, you know, form and shape us either in a positive manner or a negative manner. I grew up with both parents in a home, loving parents, both loved the Lord, but I wasn't attracted to that. I was attracted to the guys on the street, the fast life in New York City, the drug dealers on the corner, the guys going to the clubs, that car and this car at an early age. But I had two phenomenal parents in a home. But I looked at those people as my role models. So it is very important that we as adults model Christ-like attributes for the next generation of believers. Amen? We really need to even go all out on this one because the things that they're dealing with today, there aren't the things that we dealt with. So we have to make it our duty. We have to make it our job to make sure that we are walking right with the Lord. You heard the two testimonies. They, they went to church. They did all that stuff. But somewhere along the line, Jesus became second. Let that not be our testimony anymore. If you're struggling with Bible reading, start today. Let Jesus completely take over your life because there is somebody that got their eye on you. We're role models whether we want to be it or not. Somebody's looking up to us. Amen? Point number two. God hasn't forgotten about you. 2 Samuel 9, 1 says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now that's a good friend. He didn't forget about his promise. Sounds like God, amen? He doesn't forget about his promise. In the book of Mark chapter 5, verse 21, we all know the story, the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, uh, but prior to that, there's a man named Jarius. He's the, the temple ruler. The Bible says that his daughter is sick, and he knows the only person that can turn the situation around is Jesus. So he, he makes a beeline to Jesus. He falls to his feet, and he asks Jesus to come to his house. And Jesus is on his way to his house. As Jesus is walking to his house, the Bible says that somebody touches Jesus. He turns around, and it's this woman who's at the bottom of the ground, and she's t- uh, touched Jesus' hem of the garment. Meanwhile, Jarius is standing right here. Jesus' full attention is on this woman. She gets healed. He gets into this full-blown conversation with her. He's done. He's ready to head over to Jairus' house. But somebody comes and tells Jairus, don't even bother. Your daughter, she's gone. Like Jairus, many of us have seen God do great things in the lives of others. We have, we, we've seen God work the miraculous in the lives of those around us and we sit back. I don't know about you, but me, I've sat back and I wondered, when is God going to bless me? Anybody? All right, four of us. When is God going to answer my prayer? When is God going to answer my cry for help? 
When is God going to turn his face towards me? Because we see others getting promotions, grace and mercy in certain situations. We see God restoring families. We see God setting people free. And we sit back wondering, God, what about me? Anybody else? We see God doing amazing things. And we're wondering, God, when are you going to show up? I want you to know he's not forgotten about you. He has not forgotten about you. I'm here to tell you that God is about to do something miraculous and supernatural in your life. Amen. You got to stand strong. You got to wait. And while you're waiting, believe that if God said it, It is going to happen. Some of you have been praying for years and it's like, all right, God, I don't see this happening. Don't throw the towel in. What if Jerry has decided, all right, I'm leaving. He might have missed out on what Jesus was about to do for him. So hang in there. Don't give up. God has not forgotten about you. Amen. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're still on his mind. He has that prayer request stored away. So don't throw the towel in. Hang on tight. Point number three. He carried me. Second Samuel nine, three through five says, Ziba answered the king. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered. He's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machiar, son of Amiel. David gets word that there's a son of Jonathan's that is still alive, and he's down in Lodabar. When you look up the word Lodabar, you will find that it means no pasture, no word, no communication. It's a dead place. It's a dry place. It's a desperate place. It's a place of no help. A place of addiction, a place of suicidal thoughts, a place of anxiety, a place of sin. I don't know about you, but I've been to Lodabar. Anybody been to Lodabar? It's not a fun place to be in. But I also know, glory to God, that he came in and carried me out. He came in and carried me out of Lodabar. When I was in a dark place in my life, he carried me out. When I was at the end of my rope, he carried me out. When I was at a desperate place in life, he carried me out. When I didn't want to live any longer, he carried me out. It was Jesus Christ that went into Lodabar and pulled me out. For some of our men, he went into the bar and pulled them out. He went into the crack house and pulled them out. If Jesus Christ has ever gone at the loader bar and pulled you out, could we stand to our feet and give the Lord 10 seconds of a thank you praise? Yes. Amen. Yes, let's give him praise. Let's give him praise. Glory to God. 
He'll he'll go right in there. He he will go right in there. And if you find yourself in Lodabar right now, you're in Lodabar. Helps on the way. Oh, he's going to come and carry you right out of Lodabar. There's too many people that can testify that he's pulled them out. And what he's done for one person, he'll do for you. So don't you give up. He is on his way. He will pull you out of Lodabar. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Point number four. He wants to show you his kindness. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one through three says, one day David asks, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had, uh, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. The king then asked, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. That's good stuff. In verse number eight of second Samuel nine, the Bible says this, watch this. It says Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This is what he thought about himself. He called himself a dead dog. If you're here this morning and you tend to have the same self-evaluation as Mephibosheth did, I've come all the way to Seekonk, Massachusetts from Rhode Island it's a long drive. Had two girls in a car. Makes it even longer. To let you know, when God decides that he's going to show you kindness, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. And it certainly doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. Yes. God wants to show you his kindness. No matter what you think about yourself, that doesn't dictate the fact that God wants to and will show you his kindness. Because kindness is not something he does. Kindness is in his DNA. It's who he is. God is kind. And he just wants to lavish God over you. Isn't that amazing? God wants to pour God over us. Mm, Give it all to me, Lord. Titus chapter three, verse four says, but when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. I don't know about you, but the Lord has shown me kindness in spite of me being me. He has shown me his kindness. That's an amazing, good God. Point number five, don't allow fear to keep you bound in the same situation. Uh, uh, Second Samuel 9, 7 says, don't be afraid, David said. I, I intend to show kindness to you because of, of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now, you got to remember that that uh, uh, Mephibosheth is now standing or kneeling before, you know, he's crippled his feet. So he's on the ground and he's before David. He has reason to be afraid. He has a lot of reason because he was the last one left. So in his mindset, this is it. They're about to kill me. But David says, don't be afraid. 
in the book of Acts chapter 16 is an amazing story. It's probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Acts 16, 25, we read about Paul and Silas in jail. Now, you're going to have to follow me on this one. They're locked up in jail. The Bible says that about midnight, you know, they're singing hymns and they're praising God. An earthquake takes place. The prison doors open wide. Now, the, the CO, the jailer, correctional officer, modern day, he's, he realized that the prison doors open. He's thinking to himself, all the prisoners escape. He figures I might as well kill myself because I'm going to be in trouble anyway. Bible says that Paul and Silas tell him, don't do yourself in. All the prisoners are here. He runs over. He falls to their feet. He says, what must I do to be saved? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house will be saved. Watch this. They leave the ACI. They go all the way to Providence. They hang out with the family. They share the gospel with the family. The family gets saved. They wash up their wounds. They baptize the family. Then they go all the way back to the ACI. And the Bible makes no mention of the prisoners leaving. I don't know about you, but if I'm locked up, earthquake takes place, everybody leaves, I'm on America's Most Wanted. There's just no doubt about it. I'm from Haiti. I'm hiding in Haiti. But what's mind-boggling is that even though the prison doors were open, makes no mention of people leaving. Could I tell you, Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. We need to walk in freedom. Don't be afraid of change. We've had men come into the program. I worked with Teen Challenge for eight years. We've had men, true stories, that have been on parole. They get paroled to Teen Challenge because the program is very hard because you got to deal with some issues. They ask, can you call my parole officer? I'd rather go back to jail. And I sit in the office. I'm like dumbfounded. Why would you want to go back to the very thing that God pulled you out of? Whomever the son sets free is free indeed. We need to grab hold of freedom and we need to walk in freedom, walk out of that jail cell and never go back to the very thing that he died on the cross for. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We can overcome. The Bible says that we're more than overcomers. How do you become more than something that's like you become more? That's like super unleaded. Anybody buy super unleaded? Don't raise your hand because I'm about to put you out there. How do you super unlet something that's already unleaded? I've asked the people at the gas station that they say, listen, what, what gas do you want? They don't have the answer either. But how do you super unlet something that's, yeah. When I got saved, one of the things that I had to do is really transform my mind. And I remember being at this church and Pastor John was doing a series on uh, renewing of a mind. I don't know if he had, if you guys still have that somewhere st- stored. I sat there was like, oh, I thought I had my mind renewed way back when. But this is something that we got to do constantly. Constant renewal of the mind because there is an enemy out there that operates in fear. And he wants to keep us in the same situation that the Lord has come to set us free from. If you find yourself bound in this area, I want to encourage you. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. Not maybe, 
They will be. And my Bible states again that whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. So walk in freedom, church. Walk in the freedom that the Lord has given you. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise? Point number six, my final point. You are a child of the king. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse 11 says, Ziba replied, yes, my Lord, the king, I am your servant and I would do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth, somebody say Mephibosheth, ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. John chapter one, verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We must get a hold of the fact that when we are in Christ, we are a child of God and we are a new creation. Something that has never, ever been created before. Now that word behold in the original Hebrew is spelled B-E-H-O-L-D means behold. In the Greek, it's B-E-H-O-L-D, behold. In the hood, it's C-H-E-C-K-I-T-O-U-T. Check it out. (laughs) When you are a new creation in God, you know what he says? Check it out. Oh, a few of y'all got this. God shows the world that he used to be an addict, but check it out. She used to be, check her out. When you and I are in Christ, they don't see us. They see Christ. So God can always say, check it out. With confidence. Amen? Amen? The enemy wants you wants to whisper in your ear that you're deceitful, dishonest, sneaky, untrustworthy, stubborn, impatient, worthless, irresponsible, a good-for-nothing, hopeless, helpless, a loser, an addict, an alcoholic, a thief, a liar, a snake, a nobody, etc., etc., etc. The enemy wants to remind you of the old you. But you have to remind yourself by the renewing of your mind that when you had an encounter with God and you find yourself in Christ as a new creation, you're no longer deceitful. You're not dishonest. You're not sneaky. You're not untrustworthy. You're not uh, a stubborn. You're not impatient. You're not worthless. You're not irresponsible. You're not a good for nothing. You're not hopeless. You're not helpless. You're not a loser. You're not an addict. You're not an alcoholic. Somebody, nobody getting excited about this, huh? You're not a thief. You're not a liar. You're not a slave. You have become somebody because you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what people call you. It doesn't even matter what you call yourself. When you are in Christ, you are a new creature, something that has never, ever, ever been created before. The, the Volkswagen, uh, what is it, Beetle? 
what are the Beatle, right? They came out like in 1945 or something like that. So the 1945 version, then they have the 19, 1950 version. I'm making all this up. 1955 version, 1960, 70, you know, now they have the, the, the 2024 version. God doesn't look to upgrade the old us. He doesn't. When Tesla first came out and I seen that thing, I thought the dude had a laptop on his, on, on his dashboard. So I said to him, seriously, I said, do you mind, sir, if I check it out? Because that was never, ever created before. God does something miraculous when we find ourselves in Christ. We are something that has never, ever, ever been created before. And for some of us, that's an amen. Because two, two of me is a tough... A tough cookie. I want you to know, in closing, that when you're in Christ, he calls you treasure. He calls you sons and daughters. He calls you beloved, forgiven, redeemed, blessed, saint. I'm a saint, Saint Anthony. No? He calls you and he calls me a child of God. No greater title than that. He calls us a child of God. When I read the Bible, I'm just one of those people that like I turn it into an action movie. And I I looked at this story and I can't help but to see Mephibosheth like just on the ground the table is set, big long king table, tablecloth that hits the ground. I don't think they ate on china, I think they ate on gold plates. Gold plates and gold forks and knives. I can't be at that dinner table because I'll be walking out of there with all stuff. And David says, from now on, you'll eat at my table. So two men come behind Mephibosheth. They pick him up, right? Watch this. They sit him in a chair. And they push him in. Now Mephibosheth is at the table like this. All the important people come in. All they see is Mephibosheth from the waist up. The grace of God is a tablecloth that covers. Oh, y'all not getting this. It covers our brokenness. They probably had no clue that Mephibosheth was crippled. They just figured He's got to be somebody because he's sitting at the king's table. I want you to know today you're somebody. Oh, yes, you are. Amen. Could we give the Lord a shout of praise? Yes, please. Wow. Woo. I am not even going to try and follow that. What an anointing word. I do have a few quick notes. And, and Good morning. Uh, Good minute, morning. We're, We're so happy to have you join us today at Faith Christian Center for this morning's message. We're so grateful to have Teen Challenge of Worcester here today with us. Teen Challenge is such a fabulous organization, and they always make a difference in people's lives. Um, there's so many programs 
in the world trying to help people who are addicted or who have issues. And a lot of those pro programs don't work. But Teen Challenge has a proven track record and it works. And do you know why they work so hard? Teen Challenge works so hard. Do you know why the pastors at this church work so hard and are so diligent to stay in God's word and pray for everyone and attend conventions and learn? It's for you because you are precious. You might not think so, but you are precious and you are worth it. And that's why all these people are so diligent and work so hard to bless you every week. You know, the speaker made some great points. He said that everybody in life is crippled by something. A lot of times when we're young and it affects us our whole lives through. And he brought up Mephibosheth who was dropped by the nanny when he was probably like five years old and he was crippled the rest of his life. And that was something that was, he didn't intend for it to happen in his life, but it did. And it, and it ruined his life until the King came, came along King David and redeemed him, redeemed his life. Well, your life can be redeemed also because the King is looking for you. Another good point the speaker made was that Jesus never gives up and he has not forgotten you. Has Jesus become second in your life? You want to make him first again because you're first in his life. You're first in his heart and what he did, he did for you. If you'd like to speak to a pastor about any of this or you've had troubles or addictions or issues, feel free to call the church office Monday through Friday at 508-336-4110 and someone will be there to help you and to talk with you. Teen Challenge is a great organization and if you'd like to make a donation to them to keep the programs going and keep helping young men and women, then you can send it in to the church office um, at 95 Sagamore Road, Seekonk, Massachusetts, and just mark that it's uh, marked, earmarked for um, Teen Challenge, and your monies will get there. Please don't forget to join us Wednesday nights at 7.30 and Sunday mornings at 9.30. We look forward to spending time with you, and we're glad you could join us online. Thank you so much. You, don't forget, you're loved. You are precious. And everyone here does what they do for you because that's what the Lord does. He loves you. He's looking for you and wants to spend time with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.